So, good evening and welcome to Postwave. I'm glad you can both join me tonight. <laughs> well, you know, Marco, it's a pleasure. I've been listening to Postwave since the place time when it came out and I'm just blown away. You know, something about the way that you speak really, you know, there's an honesty in your voice that really resonates where I, I totally believe you on that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you really belong on this podcast. <laughs> My name is Marco, and here I hey. am. That's about that's, it. That's all any of us do. Um, so, like, is there an official way to get started with well, this? Well, I guess, I mean, at least say what you do for a living. Okay, I work in a library. And that's that's on Martha's Vineyard? Right. Oh, yeah. No, I, I work in a library on Martha's Vineyard, the Oak Bluffs Public Library. I'm the administrative assistant there. And uh, I do some bookkeeping stuff, I answer the phone, I bring papers from one department to the next department, uh, and other stuff. How long have you been there for? Um, going on two years full-time now, a year part-time before that, so um, I was just working at the circulation desk mostly, but occasionally at the reference desk before that. It was really like two hours um, a week, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoyed. And uh, when something full-time opened up, I applied for it. Uh, the timing worked pretty well with my own life, so uh, the fact that I uh, was accepted also worked out very well. That was great. What do you do? So I, uh, I teach music. I teach piano and theory, and I... <laughs> Before before the pandemic started, I was I was uh, an accompanist at a Waldorf school here for uh, choir and dance classes, and I also gigged around with like five or six or seven bands, too many bands, <laughs> um, some nice. more regular than others. But um, yeah, I was I was a uh, ballet accompanist for about two years right when I moved back at, at Ballet Austin. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it was a physical job. So have you noticed uh, the library change in any ways since you've been there? Oh, yeah. No, we did a whole 180, really. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, before the whole pandemic hit, um, the libraries were largely trying to sell themselves um, um, as like a place to be. I remember the phrase that was thrown around a lot um, was a third space because um, you have like your work, your home, and then you have the library, which is also another place that you can feel like you can come to just be. 
um, especially on Martha's Vineyard, um, but I think in a lot of places, generally speaking, um, there's not a lot to do where, like, you can go to a place and spend a lot of time there and just not be expected to spend any money at right. all. Um, and the library has really um, tried to push the idea of, like, you know, this is a great place to be. Um, you know, we have services um, just come on down um, to take advantage of them. But then with the whole pandemic, um, you know, we're really trying not to encourage people to all get together in the same place. So uh, there's been a lot of uh, adaptation that had to happen really quickly um, in the wake of that. And so, I mean, basically what happened is we boosted up our online services a lot. Um, so you can watch a lot more videos than you otherwise would have been. Um, and you can download a lot more ebooks um, and audiobooks than otherwise. Um, but now we've started um, contactless hold pickup, where you can request items and then come pick them up uh, by appointment. Um, and we're looking at some point in the future um, to start doing limited in-person services, uh, probably by appointment only, and um, the services that we're going to offer are not going to be the way that they looked before all of this, mm -hmm. um, at least not initially. I know everybody really wants to get back to the way that things were, but we're trying to be as cautious about yeah. that as we can. Um, here on the island especially, I would say we're um, kind of on one end of the bell curve when it goes to... Um, trying to put safety first and um, trying to avoid having people come and congregate in the same place. Um, I know a lot of places off island have uh, really just kind of like opened their doors, um, but I think we've tried to avoid that. Yeah, we have a pretty high um, concentration of elderly people on the island. Yeah, that's kind of a big part of it as well. And so there's a lot of moving pieces, but um, there's a lot of talks going on and how we're supposed to move forward, um, especially going into winter. Um, a big concern as well is that libraries have sort of found themselves as a very popular place uh, for unhoused people to come, right. um, to be in a place that's warm where they're not going to get kicked out because, like, you know, they're not spending money. Right. Um, and it's definitely a thing we want to provide. Uh, but we also want to do it in a way that's safe and reasonable. Um, so we're in the process of trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, <laughs> so is the physical location like open at all or can you go in or is it, is it completely shut? No, um, ours is not. I mean, all the Island libraries kind of got together and they said, we want to generally make the same um, steps in sort of the same order um, and sort of at the same time. Um, so there's no library right now that's open for um, in-person browsing, as far as I know. Uh, West Tisbury's started to do something where they have, like, a pop-up library outside on Saturdays. Um, I haven't been there, so I can't really speak too much of the details of that. Mm -hmm. um, but that would be probably the closest thing mm -hmm. you'd get. How are public libraries funded, by the way? Like, is it through the, the city <laughs> government, or is it... <laughs> yeah um so 
it can vary. Um, I think most of the um, island libraries are sort of um, similar in that we're basically just another branch of the town. So you have like the water department, the highway department, um, you have like the tax collector's office, and then the police department, and then the library. Um, so we just get most of our operating budget really just directly from the town. Knowledge department. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So uh, I know Eric's had some experience at the library. Yeah, um, so I've been doing a virtual class. I've been teaching a class through the library, the uh, music as meditation course, a beginner course for guitar and ukulele with a, a theme of music as a mindfulness practice and how it can uh, serve to better uh, your mental wellness. That's pretty cool. How's that going? Fairly well. It's a five-week course. Uh, this is the second uh, course that I've done. The first one went very well. Um, this one uh, was a little bit rockier getting off the ground, but um, I think people are uh, really enjoying it a lot, and uh, I, I enjoy teaching it as well. Nice. When's the last time you went to a library? Uh, <laughs> gosh, I don't even know. Um, well, actually, so when I, when I was working at Ballet Austin, there was, there was a pretty awesome public library that had just been renovated. Um, that was right kind of next door and I didn't go nearly as much as I, you know, should have, should have gone, but, uh, it was probably sometime, uh, like last, last spring or summer sometime then. Um, yeah, I used to go to the, the music library at CU all the time just cause, mm. Music libraries are, are yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. I have a friend uh, from back in high school who would go to the music library at UW in Seattle and check out all the CDs and burn them to his uh, computer. Mm -hmm. And then he is it, it, like a, just compiling this massive catalog of random CDs of like band <laughs> music and marching band stuff <laughs> mm -hmm. nice yeah. That's awesome. yeah it's funny i once asked um one of our teen volunteers because i also i also order the movies and um well adult movies and um music collection for the library i asked one of our teens like oh well you know like what kind of stuff are you into what kind of cds should i get and she was like you shouldn't get any CDs based on what I'm into. None of the kids nowadays listen to CDs. She's like, you should just get old people music. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> kind of a shifting platform. Yeah, I remember uh, back, I lived in, uh, I grew up in, in a small town in California, Northern California called Grass Valley. And my mom would take me to the library all the time. And that was around when I started getting really into classical music. And and so I would just check out like six or seven CDs every week mm -hmm. like, and rip them onto my computer. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> probably frowned upon, but uh, yeah, I, I just remember I, I Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come after you for like a thing that you did 15 years ago. <laughs> um, oh no, you've, you've stolen Rachmaninoff's like... There was a lot of Rachmaninoff. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered like so many composers that i loved uh yeah, like rachmaninoff and shostakovich that i just remember vividly like coming home with those cds for the first time 
Well, that's great. You know, like that's that. kind of in large part why they exist. I, I wanted to say we, but uh, yeah, it, it's good to you know find new stuff through there. And um, I know that that's kind of one of the most heartbreaking things about being closed is there are so many families, um, especially with kids. Um, that like to come by and spend time at the library. Um, and, you know, we just kind of can't do that because mm -hmm. kids, even more than adults, uh, can be sometimes hard to, like, explain. Here's why you shouldn't, like, you know, blow your nose in your hand and then just wipe it over the <laughs> stack of books. Well, when you put it like that, I'm I'm not sure I missed the library being <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> so... <laughs> No, but for real, libraries have always been a really uh, positive place for me. It's just like you were saying, that welcomeness of being able to go to a place and not having to spend money. Yeah, the yeah. idea is, I think, like, you have access, but no, like, obligation. Hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, and you you get kind of a similar thing with, with cafes where you're spending money, but just the feeling of being with other people who are also working on stuff and are also interested in learning things and just being in that environment makes me uh want to be a lot more productive mm, definitely so was this um an episode about libraries or was there like uh did we have another central topic we wanted to discuss yeah well i think just like books in general yeah books okay. reading why do people read why don't people read why, why... Yeah. so so here's a question maybe you can relate you every listener out there it seems like everyone <laughs> yeah. uh, seems like everyone has a stack of books or like a, a list of books that they've just been meaning to read for a long time and oh boy it would be really cool to read these books and then they never ever get read do people have that? Do most people have that? Because I, I can't tell if that's just my own filthy habit <laughs> or it's just like I collect them and then I look at them and I'm like, I'm going to read all of these. And like it's 10 years later and I'm like, wow, that didn't happen. <laughs> but it will one day. Uh -huh. I was just going to say, is that a thing that like most people do? Most people have? I think it's pretty widespread because I mean, you're always going to want to read more books than you have time for. If you're someone who likes reading books, mm -hmm. I think it's also, I mean, because it's a time investment and you want to use your time mm. as effectively as possible. Hmm. And I don't know, for me, for me, it's, it's, uh, you know, you have to get to a certain point in the book before it kind of grabs you. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't happen soon enough, then it could be like, well, maybe there's this other book that it would grab me right away. So man, maybe it would, you know, benefit me more. So maybe I should just read that. The instant gratification. You want the, uh, as we were talking about in the motivation episode, the dopamine hit right off the bat, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's so much that. It's, I mean, especially with stuff that's kind of dense and hard to read, mm -hmm. like like philosophy type stuff, or or even like Dostoevsky, where it's not really, maybe it's not so hard to read, but there's so many characters and it's like a really long book. It it it's just a, a huge time investment, and you want to make sure that 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 book is, is the right book. Hmm. Is there anything you have specifically or like in particular that you've kind of been sitting on for a while? <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to, trying to think. 
Um, well, specifically with philosophy, there's this uh, book by Thomas Nagel, who we discussed. Uh, it's, it's, it's this book of essays called uh, Mortal Questions. And Thomas Nagel is this, uh, I think he's, yeah, 20th century philosopher. I forget exactly what his his dates are. Um, but we discussed this one essay, uh, What It's Like to Be a Bat, which is kind of about uh, the nature of consciousness and all that. And uh, I've read like one other essay in that book, but and I really want to read the rest, but it's, it is that kind of thing where it's, it's a little bit dense and uh, <laughs> you're not sure how much you're going to get out of it mm. in the end. Yeah, um, definitely. I've had some books on on the back burner for a long time. Um, But interestingly, um, uh, touching back on the motivation episode where I mentioned that I had been pursuing a dopamine detox, uh, which I have been, um, meaning that I don't spend time on the screens as a form of entertainment. I don't watch movies or shows um, I don't play video games anymore. Um, and I have been keeping up with this. Um, I, I feel like it's gotta be, I mean, I had to interrupt, but, um, it's gotta be really hard, like, especially during COVID times. Mm. Yeah, it is. Um, it, and yeah, exactly. Thanks for saying that because, um, I kind of made it sound, I think, in the motivation episode, like, oh, and I've just been doing it ever since, and it's great. But no, it, it really has been a struggle. Um, it's been something that has really forced me to accept that I have been and still am addicted to screen use in, in a very tangible way, uh, very similar, I think, to people who have addictions to uh substances yeah and it's such a it's such an ingrained part of our lives that most of us wouldn't consider it an addiction at all or yeah even, you know even if we consider it addiction it seems like kind of a necessary or unavoidable one mm. and that's what i told myself for for a long time uh and yet how i'd spend my time on on the device was time time and time again it would lean towards the heavy dopamine binge where you're just looking for things to satisfy that gratification uh reflect no i think i think i get it um i spend a lot of time just you know kind of scrolling through facebook not really looking for anything particular but like just going oh this is terrible mm-hmm. oh this is terrible oh this is terrible as i swipe my finger up again and again and again i'm like there's got to be something of substance in here and like I know. I guess it's kind of like, you know, the experiment with um, the rats and the like drugs. Uh, I think they call it a Skinner box or something where it's like um, you have a rat and you have the rat with like the um, little lever. And every time it presses the lever, it gets an injection of like a happy drug. And so, like, the rat eventually just ends up going, like, slamming the lever constantly, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, but apparently, like, something to do with that was what really drives the rats crazy isn't necessarily, like, you press it once and then it gives you drugs, but, like, or if you press it, like, ten times to get the drugs, um, if they know that it's ten times every time, they kind of, like, can cope with it um but like if you make it 
a random number of times that they have to press the lever each time to get the happy uh, substance, like the rats just go like crazy because they just like they can't wrap their little heads around like <laughs> you know like oh how many times am i gonna have to do this before i get that like satisfaction um and i i kind of feel like that a lot and when you say they go crazy does that mean uh they they just keep uh hitting the lever um, a lot maybe i don't know i'm not too studied in this this was something i read like 10 years ago ah okay something yeah. for the reference notes <laughs> Yeah, I think I I definitely heard about that experiment before. If we're thinking of the same one, I forgot the thing where they changed the number of times. That's interesting. I just remember that they, if they had a choice between like food and the drug, they would literally die because they just kept hitting the the one with the drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we laugh, but that is something that humans do oh, totally. as well. You know, like people with playing StarCraft. Right. Yeah. No. I as I was laughing, I was like, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, laughing is a coping mechanism. Like it's either this or crying, so yeah. I mean, Starcraft, but also like heroin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, in the you know, you you had originally asked me like, oh, is there a book that you've read recently that um, you know you wanted to talk yeah. about? And that's kind of where this idea I think came from. Was no, I hadn't. And so then I thought like, well, what's a way that we could maybe make this slightly more interesting or slightly different at least mm. um, would be to like talk about books that you haven't read, um, but you've kind of been meaning to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you uh, the two that came to mind for me um, were Robert Musil's um, The Man Without Qualities. And I mean, I'm 31 now, and this is a book that I've been meaning to read since I was 16. Um, and yet like, I mean, I've even bought this book. I've had it on my shelf. I've lost it and I've gone to buy it again just to put it on the shelf and then never read it. Um, and kind of a funny thing about the book as well. Um, it's actually unfinished itself. (laughs) And so like, even if I were to finish it, I'd never really get to the end because the end doesn't really exist. I guess the author um kind of the farther along he got the less certain he got about how he was going to end it um but Mm. i mean it's a period piece in that it's a piece about a period um it's about pre-war austria um and sort of like the sensibility of the people at that time so what Um, what got this on your list of books that you have been meaning to read what why why do you want to read this So I wrote an essay, I don't even remember what the essay was, in an English class when I was 16 in high school, and my English professor at that point said something along the lines of, or he wrote like in the margins, like, oh, kind of like Musil's The Man Without Qualities, (laughs) question mark. And, you know, that question mark was kind of like the nail on my coffin Uh that sealed my fate until now. Wow. Um, But yeah, no, it's been sitting around, and I, I... I've started reading it so many times and yet I don't seem to get very far in for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like you mentioned, um, you know, something times, um, texts are really dense. And so you kind of, you know, need to give yourself the space to like, um, kind of really power through it. Mm. Um, and, um, I feel like with that and some other things that I haven't really finished, it's, Oftentimes, not only that, but like 
I want to be in the right frame of mind because like I've built it up so much in my head that it's not even like about the book itself anymore, but it's about like me appreciating the book like on the highest level that I as a person am capable of appreciating something and like putting myself into the state of pure like, you know, residence where the words just kind of like flow <laughs> into my mind. And I'm like, I understand everything about this, like in every possible way. And like, I truly am appreciating the substance that it like gets down. Wow. To. So do you, do you um, think that desire to achieve that state is one of the things that is preventing you from reading the book? Oh, yeah, no, totally. And so, like, you know, it's not like I'm just like, oh, well, I've got 10 minutes. Let me read another page. I'm like, no, no, no I need to, like, make an event of this because now this book has become this, like, sort of albatross, I guess, or, like, wow, this sort of, like, mountain to scale. Mm. And I'm like, I got to really kind of go for it. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. It's... It's kind of funny because it's, yeah, as you said, preventing me from really getting into it in the first place, which, I mean, it's not like I couldn't read it again if I didn't, like, get it the first uh -huh. time, you know? Yeah, yeah that's something uh -huh. I, I tell myself as well when, when I have a thing that I'm uh, doing that with, putting it off, because it, it's the same as when I'm writing music. Trevor, Trevor, we talked about this, um, yeah. where you want to you want to write the best music, and so you uh anything that could possibly even fall short of it a little bit seems like uh not worth writing down and you, you just get wrapped up in your head about it yeah the thing with that that flow state of of just letting the words flow through you and the time just kind of passes i mean that's like it's kind of like once you notice that it's happening it's gone <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? oh, totally. and the more you the more you think about it the harder it is to the harder it is to actually make it happen mm. yeah but I, I appreciate it a lot more when it does happen than I, than I think I used to in, in like high school. Mm. That you kind of took it for granted back in high school. Yeah. Or I guess I had never heard of the concept of a flow state until some time in college. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And just kind of an appreciation for how, how unique a state of mind that is and how special it is. Mm. Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, I'm practicing music can be like that. I guess any, any kind of, yeah, intellectual work or, you know, I, you know physical work can be like that too. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So here's a question. How does this apply as it uh, relates to nonfiction and fiction? Um, I don't know, I guess. I don't know if there is too much of a difference. Is there a big difference for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, kind of curious to me because I think a lot of people, when they say the flow state, it it's in relation to being productive, right? It's like achieving things, learning things. And in fiction, sometimes, well, you could approach it in a way where you're learning things, and, and that's how I like to. But at the same time, there's an element of escapism where you're just... Uh, trying to forget the world yeah i mean i guess i guess with the if i'm talking about watching a movie i wouldn't necessarily call that a flow state and i guess it can be kind of the same way with a book but i think because a book requires at least some level of active engagement mm. i think even if if it if it seems like escapism 
there's still there's still some element of, of work happening mm-hmm. it's just that the work seems kind of effortless which is part of the the cool part yeah although depending on the book right well i mean you know even if it's like written in fifth grade english and uh the story is really simple you're still doing some kind of yeah. uh information mm. processing thing yeah the other thing i was thinking of as well that was kind of funny was that you know like it almost seemed like kind of uh coincidental i guess um or just kind of in line with the subject matter with the fact that like you know we set up to do this initially then i had so many problems and couldn't get started and then i had kept having um different scheduling conflicts mm-hmm. and so it kind of was looking like this might end up in the same way of never quite getting <laughs> finished <laughs> mm-hmm. Fun- funny you should mention that too um because one of the books that I've just been meaning to read for a long time is Godel's incompleteness. Oh, you mean like the, the paper? Yeah. Is it a, is it a paper? So, uh, Godel has a paper. I, I forget what the actual title is, but the, the book, the book everyone knows is a uh, Godel Escherbach. I, I, I was under the impression book. that Godel wrote a book about incompleteness. Oh, he probably, he, uh, you could be right. You could be right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so good, uh, Gödel was this, Kurt Gödel was this mathematician around in like the early-ish 20th century. Um, and he worked a lot with, uh, logic and, and like formal logic and proofs and that kind of thing. And so, uh, his incompleteness theorem has to do with, formal systems of logic so it's all like the if p then q p and q you know but not r implies uh (laughs) you all that stuff um (laughs) i get the general concept just don't test me on it right um so there was this system that this other philosopher mathematician uh bertrand russell had created in his book uh principia mathematica and and so Gödel's incompleteness theorem was was kind of related to that. And what Gödel showed is that within any formal system like that, there are statements that you can express within the system that you can't prove within the system. And one of those mm-hmm. things that you can't prove is that the system uh, is complete or is is sound. And you can only you can only prove that with like another formal system mm. that's that's bigger. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And so. And then the uh, example would be like uh, this statement is false. Like you can express that within the rules, but you can't really do much with it. It kind of breaks yeah. things. <laughs> or uh, Bertrand Russell's: Does the set of all things that don't contain themselves contain itself? <laughs> Let me get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to think about that one for yeah. a while. Well, um, yeah, so I mean, so Godel Escherbach is, is this book by Douglas Hofstadter that I think kind of popularized that in the, like in the 70s. Mm. Um, but he has this other book called I Am a Strange Loop that's much shorter and way more approachable that's kind of the same ideas that he said he wrote because people didn't get the point of Godel Escherbach <laughs> after it came out, <laughs> which is understandable because it's, 
it's really long, kind of takes about to tangents. Yeah, you said something earlier um, about like, you know, trying to get into that state, but then like once you recognize it, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, made me think of a couple different things. Um, but one specifically is, you know, like when you're trying to find the location of an electron, because an electron is so small, mm-hmm. the only way you can find out like where it is, is by moving it with another electron. Mm-hmm. And so like by the time you figured out where it is, it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Or looking at the stars and knowing that they're uh, the the light you're seeing is f- from hundreds of millions year- of years ago. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it could even be that in the act of looking at it, you change what it's doing, mm-hmm. or if it's yeah. a quantum thing, you determine you looking at it make forces the wave function to co- uh, to collapse. Yeah, and it decides that it's either one or the other. So we were talking about books. <laughs> I think so. Uh, the other thing I want to... <laughs> you mentioned something before, and, you know, it was kind of in line with what I had said about, like, you know, I could read the same book again if I didn't get it the yeah. first time. Um, and you were talking about, like, creating music, and, you know, sometimes you get kind of stopped by the fact that, um, you know, like, you want to create the most perfect thing, and so you don't create anything because Mm. you're sort of like just stuck in trying to figure out what's what's exactly right um and somebody said to me something a couple years ago which um it's a bit silly um but it's basically don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good Mm. um and i think ever since i heard that i've been trying to kind of internalize it a bit more um obviously i still haven't read this book that i was telling (laughs) you about but like Uh I think just in general concepts of life, it's something that I've been trying to um, kind of use to forgive myself for not being perfect in situations. I think that's really um, beautiful. I think of it as well like um, the other thing I kind of try to measure this with is um, like the stock market. If you take the stock market over any ten- period of 10 years, like it's gone up significantly from where it was um, at the beginning of that period. But like, it goes down in the middle like there's crashes in between mm-hmm. like and so i think you know success doesn't always necessarily have to be like a series of successful steps yeah absolutely to get to a successful journey that was like the number one thing that all the entrepreneurs would say uh back at cu when i did the business entrepreneurship certificate with the business minor who would have guest speakers come in and basically the main thing that anyone would ever say is that you are very unlikely to succeed on your first attempt and it's by failing repeatedly that you can learn from your experiences and eventually get one that works Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you're succeeding at everything 100 you're probably not growing or or learning anything Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) that's uh that's also what i tell my music students If, if they never make any mistakes it means that they're not playing anything hard enough Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I use that a lot too. <laughs> it's like every piece just keeps getting harder. It's, that's the idea. <laughs> it's, it's learning music. <laughs> I had somebody once try and teach me how to juggle, and he said, "You know, like the first step, I want you to take this and just throw it at the ground." <laughs> and he's like, "And so you know, I did." And he's like, "All right, you got to get used to that because there's going to be a lot of that." <laughs> That's good. 
he's like so you better start you know accepting it now i think that's a nice metaphor for life (laughs) yeah you get born you try something you throw it on the ground (laughs) that's what you're saying right (laughs) yeah no totally (laughs) pretty much so you do with your guitar right first thing Uh uh-huh yeah and then i buy another guitar (laughs) if you're enjoying this so far we'd love if you took the time to support us there are a bunch of ways you could do that you can subscribe to us on itunes or spotify or wherever you're listening you can go like our page on facebook or follow us on instagram you can also review us give us a nice review on whatever platform you're listening on thanks for listening So here's the thing. Yeah, my Netflix queue is kind of just like a testament to the things that I haven't done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Since I stopped using screens for entertainment, I didn't necessarily cold turkey on the entertainment. Um, although it's given me a lot more free time to do creative stuff and learn things and productive stuff, I've still been spending a lot of time uh, entertaining myself and the outlet is books I've been reading a lot of books and so I've actually been really quickly eating through my list of books that I had been meaning to eat read for oh, a long you time. traitor <laughs> <laughs> oh no we've gone all this time and you've been keeping the secret from us <laughs> yeah well so it made me think that maybe the reason uh that people don't read the books that they intend to read is because there's just so many easier ways to get that dopamine fix yeah i mean the the thing i I keep going back to in my head is okay i'm i'm done doing my work for the day or practicing and i just want to relax or maybe have more work to do later you know and i don't want to drain myself reading this book because you know about you no matter what it's it's gonna take you know it's going to make you a little more mm-hmm. tired yeah. and it's easy to just keep saying, Oh, I need to conserve my energy and <laughs> conserve my bandwidth for, uh, for other things. And therefore I'm just going to watch this mindless, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's a trap. YouTube videos, sort of. You know, it's <laughs> like you got, when you read, you kind of got to put a little bit in, as you said, but you're like, right. hey, when you watch TV, the you, I want the entertainment to come to me. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want to reach into the bag. I want the bag contents to, like, <laughs> you know, just it's, it's, it's the, <laughs> tell me I'm wonderful. It's the equivalent of rather than reaching into the bag of popcorn, taking the whole bag of popcorn and dumping it on your face. <laughs> yeah. I want to feel like, uh, I was going to say, I want to feel like, you know, I won the Super Bowl where, like, you know, they dump the Gatorade. Uh, uh-huh. the, like, <laughs> just all the time. Mm. Yeah. But. You don't get to drink it, you know, you just have the, the kind of the feeling. <laughs> that's a, that's actually something I kind of wanted to talk about is just retention. 
how much do you remember from, mm. from books you read mm. yeah um and i think i think that depends on how you approach the book if you're looking for passive entertainment then it's easy to let the words slip by but if you are looking to learn things then you can take your time and find the connections mm-hmm. yeah i think it varies um I feel like I've read I re- feel like I read certain books when I was like 14 and I can remember like paragraphs of them like word for word but like I don't know I read like a newspaper article the other day and like I don't even remember what it's about <laughs> like yeah so I don't know maybe some of it has to do with like level of entertainment that you get from it though as well in terms of like it's funny cuz I've heard that you know if you enjoy something you remember it more but I've also heard that, like, if you have to work for mm. something, you kind of remember it Definitely. more. So maybe, yeah, maybe there's a balance there yeah. uh, where too much yeah. of one thing, either either the sugar or the the meat and potatoes of it is uh, less effective. Yeah, I mean, I think I always remember things that give me a certain insight. Like in... in nonfiction it's it's understanding something in a certain way that i had before or in fiction it's it's a lot of times it's like how they structure the story or how they build the character or just the way they describe mm. something where i'm I'm just like that's so so well crafted and beautiful and and deep and meaningful and all that mm. stuff i feel like yeah you, t- you tend to remember the parts that that strike you in a in a certain way yeah i think that's true you have any okay so now you know now that you're thinking about this and you're thinking about things that strike you is there something you have specifically in mind uh well well specifically go to shabak because it's such a long <laughs> such a long long book with with so many different uh like i said it kind of goes on a lot of tangents but and there's you know way more that you could possibly possibly remember um but i remember that was uh the first place i learned about how uh programming languages are are how they actually work like there's a top level high level language that gets compiled into like a lower level language all the way down to like assembly language and machine code mm-hmm. uh, that's something i just didn't know before and uh, i thought it, it was just a really elegant and beautiful idea um and then the just the idea that um that artificial intelligence could be built out of these tiny little you know very simple little like and 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 or game yeah. and that kind of thing uh, it's just kind of kind of amazing and beautiful and and yeah just kind of the mystery of intelligence and and math and everything <laughs> um but there's a lot of specific stuff about like zen and dna and stuff it's, it's cool i just don't remember a lot of, I, <laughs> there's this there okay yeah the, the one specific thing that i remember is um he talks about at some point he talks about uh this game of like uh, a multi-level game of chess where like you have the chessboard right that you're playing on that's like the normal chessboard and then you have a second chessboard that uh on which the pieces control the rules of the game so like each, each movement of each piece is mapped to the rules and you could imagine uh like a, a, just a series of chessboards mm. like that that where each one controls the rules of the one that's below it huh. <laughs> so like if if you move uh the queen on the second level board suddenly now the knights can go an extra square over 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that. I mean, maybe maybe it's like you know, you you move however far a piece advances, then the uh, the corresponding piece on the other board can move one more or gain some special mm. ability or something. And level uh, power up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I just thought that was like the nerdiest and coolest thing. <laughs> I'd love to play a game like that. Like when the one that's not crazy stupid. <laughs> yeah. I would love to like teach an AI that and then have two of them play against each other and see, uh-huh. see what happens. <laughs> oh, that'd be kind of interesting. I feel like you could lo- learn a lot about like what's kind of like advantageous or rather rather about like the basic game of chess itself and you'd kind of find i guess by the rules that they followed and the rules that they changed like what are the things that are kind of like limiting you or like what are the more like um powerful things i guess for lack of a better word that you can already do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or like finding the set of rules that make the most sense like for example chess has evolved over the centuries and uh what like one major change is that the queen which can move in any direction at any distance used to only be able to move one square in any direction so it's a much weaker piece hashtag feminism (laughs) (laughs) slay queen Uh, yeah. So we're talking about books. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't too many steps to remember books. <laughs> mm. I guess it depends on the upper level rules. Do, do Eric, do you have a book that that you feel like you remember an unusual amount mm. from? Yeah. Uh several um, one is Infinite Jess, um, another is The Idiot by Dostoevsky. Both of these are really powerful pieces because they have a, a writing style that's really in-depth in and I- immersive, um, and yet that seems to have flowed naturally from the writer so that you, it really creates a sense of like insight into what that world is like uh, I think in a really meaningful way um, but but strangely enough when uh, Marco you asked Trevor that question like is there a particular book that makes like so, so, that's uh, an, an instant in a book that stuck out to you um, the first thing that popped into my head was a scene from one of my favorite fantasy authors uh, book under heaven by guy gabriel k and trevor knows that i have been a fan of this book for a long time and uh will tell anyone to read this book um, <laughs> but there's a really potent emotional scene that happens towards the end of this book uh, i won't go into details uh because spoilers but the there's something really powerful about this book to me because it sort of creates this perfect juncture between a personal experience and 
the greater events of history and the world and how those things interact and by showing the tragedy of the individual experience and then seeing how historical events can affect like tragedy on massive scale uh like like so you you show the one character dying and then you show the million people in the city also dying um and if you just say oh a million people died there's there's really no no way to frame that no way to understand that and relate to it on an emotional level but uh the way he brings it in and makes you relate to the characters and then shows that connection between the characters and the historical events is really powerful for me. I think that scene is the first time I ever cried while reading a book. Wow. I don't know if that's ever happened to me. I feel like it must have, but I can't think of what it would be. Maybe it's happened to me. I, if, I, if it has, I can't remember it. No, that's interesting. Um, I think I've heard that like when trying to explain like, I guess, uh, events that occur on such a massive scale or like, you know, historical things, um, it's really the only way we can internalize these sorts of things is by like looking at one person's mm. experience mm -hmm. of it. Because uh, if you just say like, yeah, the number like 8 million, like, who has a concept of 8 million like really readily like available in yeah. their like <laughs> head that they they can fully understand what the like gravity of that is um i think politicians as well are very <laughs> fond of that sort of thing definitely uh, billions uh, and billions yeah <laughs> yeah carl Sagan, uh, the, the famous politician <laughs> So what's what are the historical events? Did you say? Uh, so so in in Under Heaven, it, it's based uh, very closely on actual events in Chinese history, uh, ninth, ninth Dynasty China, where there was a sort of rebellion, fracturing of the of the government, uh, which resulted in civil war for hundreds of years. Yeah. does it take place over that whole period or is no it... um so so the, the novel itself centers around uh the lives of uh, a handful of people uh all all at the same time um, but m most of the 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 time in the book is over the course of i want to say a week or two but it's still there's a really beautiful way he approaches time in that time can become protracted. So so it, it does cover the whole course of these people's lives and then sort of goes into a brief summary of history at the end so that you kind of get this accelerating sense over the course of the book. Yeah. Well, I had, I had one more question. You said, um, you know, that you had read Infinite Jest. And, like, I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's a perfect example of, I think, the sort of book that most people or at least a lot of people yeah. uh, kind of yep. pick up and then they yeah. never quite get to the end of, but mm. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that you finished it. That was yes, there, that's... was there something to be gotten from the end of that one? Really incredible book. 
um, there's a lot to be got from that. And okay. guess what? The only way you're going to get it is to actually read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking okay. of someone who I think I'm like 20, like a quarter of the way through it, more or less. Mm-hmm. And Eric, I started reading it because Eric wanted to talk about the first chapter. Um, and I kept going for a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I, after the first chapter, I was like, oh, this book is definitely worth reading. It's just, it's more, it's that like mental bandwidth mm-hmm. thing. Or especially some of the the some of the chapters are, are like what the hell is <laughs> yeah there's that on? one chapter that's like one sentence yeah yeah I kind of worry with that just especially being as lengthy it is as it is um, I had this when I was much younger um, somebody once told me a joke um, and it's a, a very different kind of joke because it it was. I think they called it the Jimmy joke or something. And it started out with the story about this guy, Jimmy. And um, it just, the joke went on and on and on. And it just went through all these fantastic adventures of Jimmy. And I was told this joke over the course of a weekend. And so it took multiple days um, because this was such a long joke. And at the end of the Jimmy joke, uh, Jimmy just gets hit by a car. Um, spoilers and the joke is always look both ways before crossing the street like is the moral of the story and so like it took me though literally days to like get through all of this i was expecting like some huge amazing punchline that was gonna like tie it all together and what i got at Mm. the end was kind of just sucker punched um by like the joke being Uh me Uh for having like wasted all my time on that um i kind of worry that infinite jest is going to be kind of like that um (laughs) Okay, well, well, here's here's the thing. Um, I'll give you. There is a little spoiler here, but not a huge one. Um, you may get that impression by reading the book because at the end of the book, it feels like it's about two thirds of the way through the book, and then you're like, "Where where the fuck is the rest of the book? Where's the conclusion? Where's how does this all tie together?" Mm-hmm. But the secret is that. He just gives you enough information to imply all of the conclusions. Hmm. Um, in a, it's really fascinating. And one one of the most uh, mind blowing moments is when I realized, oh shit, it's all here. It's just you have to piece it together. Hmm. That's and, interesting. And I think, yeah, and I think that uh, it's important to recognize that David Foster Wallace, when he wrote this book, set out very intentionally to create something that is a challenge to read. Mm -hmm. He deliberately made it difficult to approach and necessary to invest a a lot of effort to get through it. Uh, That's the entire point of the end notes that are sparkled throughout uh, hundreds of end notes through through the book and a lot of them are just like you you didn't need to read them but um but the point is to break up the narrative mm. by flipping back and forth between the, the where you are in the story and the end so you really did uh put a lot of thought into making this, this something that there is meaning to but that you have to find the meaning yourself <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> it really is no, that's that's cool. Well, well, this it's been a, a yeah, real pleasure to have fun. you on. Um, Thank it's you. It's been a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed being here. I, I appreciate the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Definitely. 
Yeah. All right. Thank well, you. thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.